Hi, and welcome to the Rocky River United Methodist Podcast. My name is Stephen Young, and I'm the youth director here, and I'm joined, as with every podcast, just about, except for two, um, Paul. <laughs> Not that we're that, keeping track. <laughs> right? <laughs> Not that we're keeping track. Yeah. Um, Paul is assistant pastor here at the church as well. Um, and we're this is going to be um, a kind of really somewhat of a low-key podcast, um, something that's kind of in between two series. Um, we're going to do um, just talking about our favorite verses, favorite Bible passages um, in Scripture. And of course, I think as I was doing this, it's always hard to take 66 books of the Bible and then boil it down to three favorite passages. Um, yeah, it's really, it really can't be done. Um, just I just realized that certain passages have different meanings throughout my life. One may be my favorite now, but another one may get me through something then. You know, it kind of shifts and changes. But I chose three that have been pretty consistent throughout my life. And Paul's, you've chosen, what, three? Yeah, I chose three as well. Right. Um, Yeah, I guess sometimes uh, mine change, and uh, there's one or two constants, but then, you know, there are others that seem to speak more to certain seasons of life than others. Right. Yeah, and I, I think that's very true for me as well. Um, and so, yeah, so we're going to be doing that. And hopefully we might have some, uh, our listeners, hopefully we may have some, our favorites, maybe some of your favorites, which would be really cool. Um, but, yeah, it's hard to boil down the Bible into <laughs> three verses. But hopefully this can be a podcast that really, again, strengthens, encourages your faith and just and us just opening it up to you and hearing our hearts about these different passages of scripture but all right without further ado paul do you have your number one i do i do is this uh, like a top three is that what this is top three well in in no particular order <laughs> okay. uh yeah I'm, I'm not counting down from three to one or one to three i just kind of threw them up there and they stuck you know if this is a top three, maybe our next one should be our least three, least favorite, <laughs> least favorite verses. <laughs> right. Wow. I think that would be more difficult. To, right. That to would say. be. Yeah. And I don't know that all of them would really lend themselves well to a podcast. No, that's true. Yeah. yeah. Could go some interesting places with yeah. those. Yeah. We'll just do top three. We'll stick with top right. three for the moment. Yeah. Well, happy Easter, everyone. Uh, it's and, and we've been, of course, engaging uh, in the Easter story for uh, for the last week or so and, and building up to that throughout Lent. Uh, touched on a, a number of other things that took place during Holy Week and the corresponding passages. So we spent a lot of time in that portion of the Bible. So Stephen and I are going to take you on a journey to all sorts of other places uh, today as we transition out of uh, the, the Lenten season and into what is, in fact, an Easter season, uh, but an Easter season that takes us to uh, the, the realities and, and places that exist beyond Easter, just bringing the, the news, the good news of Easter with us, and that's what makes it the Easter season. Uh, so my first passage today is actually from the book of Job. Uh, this is Job 38, and I, I didn't have a set number of verses in mind, so I decided to just... Uh, start reading and, and stop when I feel like stopping. So this is the beginning of Job chapter 38, and uh, there's some, some beautiful uh, poetry in here, some, some imagery, and I hope you enjoy. And then uh, when I'm done, we'll, we'll set it in its context. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set, or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness? when I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place, when I said, this for you may come and no farther, here is where your proud waves halt. Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place, that it might take the earth by the edges and shake the wicked out of it? The earth takes shape like clay under a seal. Its features stand out like those of a garment. The wicked are denied their light and their un- and their unpraised arm is broken 
Have you journeyed to the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of the deepest darkness? Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. So, uh, welcome to the book of Job. Uh, some of you will know the, the larger context of the, the book, and I'll take a minute to explain kind of where this falls. Uh, the book of Job, for those who, who may not know, is about uh, the main character Job, who's a, a gentleman who is living a, a rather uh, blessed and fortunate life, has a, an incredible family, uh, has been very successful, accomplished a great deal in his life, has many possessions, and all of a sudden, due to an, an exchange between uh, God and, and Satan, the, the leader of the deep uh, comes to God and, and challenges him essentially to this this contest uh, to determine whether Job uh, can and, and uh, will prove faithful even after he is deprived of, of some of the many blessings that God has provided him. And, and Job, in fact, uh, is provided, not just of some, but nearly all of the, the blessings that God had given him throughout his life, uh, from his uh, material possessions to his uh, family, uh, his, his own children are, are uh, killed in an accident, his, his um his own health is, is put into question, and he's uh, covered in sores and, and disease. So Job endures uh, these great trials, and much of the book of, the jo of, of Job is Job working through the pain and suffering that he's facing. And uh, he has several, uh, we'll call them friends, because the book calls them friends, but uh, they, they fall short in a lot of ways of, of really providing the support that he needs in, in these difficult moments. But the whole book of Job is Job trying to work through all of this pain that he's experiencing. And then uh, towards the end, all of a sudden, we, we get this, uh, this uh, speech. I'll call it a, a lecture from God. Uh, and, and it's uh, here recorded in Job 38 where God uh, is, has been compassionate and, and patient with Job as he's working through all of this. And Job is, has sought to be faithful and, and not cast blame and, and not allow it to impact his faith. But he's struggling through it. And God just out of out of nowhere uh, gives Job this this uh, speech about um, who God is, and and to me that's uh, I've dubbed this passage the Paul meet God passage because uh, here in Job thirty eight I feel like I get a front row seat to who God really is as best as I as a, a human being can comprehend and experience God I, I think it's uh, it's laid out with beautiful imagery here in this passage um, and and what i take from this more than anything is is that god in his power and in his wisdom and his greatness and his love are beyond my comprehension and uh, they always will be and i i think god calls us to try to get to know him to try to to grasp uh, who it is and what it means that god is indeed god that god is an infinite god and lives outside of time and space and his power and his love and and his grace are, are beyond our understanding and our reach but i, I think uh, we're supposed to grasp for these things and try to understand them but the reality that uh, we all need to be able to fall back on throughout our lives is that uh, all of these qualities that god's have got that god has are 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 beyond our ability to understand and they're always going to be a million times greater than we can possibly conceive of them being and i think we need that reality in place in our lives so that every step of the way every decision we make every interaction we have with god and with others we we build upon this framework that god is god we are not god and the distance between the two is is more than we can possibly imagine and uh, I, I love this passage for that reason. I think it's just a, an incredibly important foundation to lay uh, upon our lives, uh, for our lives and our relationship with God. And just a, a beautiful, uh, beautifully written um, demonstration of God in, in all his power and his glory. So uh, I thought we'd start things off with that. And uh, we'll let Stephen uh, take us away in just a minute in a different direction, unless you wanted to chime in on anything here from Job and all his struggles. <coughs> No, I think um, I like that passage a lot. I like the ending of Job a lot. I um, I think it's that passage and other passages similar to that um, that make the Bible such a beautiful book because of its because it doesn't just state something scientifically, you know. Some so this is what's different about our society sometimes and the biblical 
culture, um, even though we do have po poetry, but so often we want just a scientific explanation for things. We just want to know what's the chemical properties, what's the periodic table, what's the, the data points, whereas scripture is not concerned with that. Scripture um, is more of the artistry of seeing um, the, the mountains and, and the rains and the clouds and the creatures from a very poetic lens, um, which is just actually is more beautiful. It's like, what, it's like, it's almost like what's more beautiful. I guess it depends on the person, but like seeing a mathematical equation or seeing that that mathematical equation is what accounts for something that's this beautiful painting or this kaleidoscope or this whatever. Think of something that uses math to create beautiful art, you know? So it's almost like, God doesn't necessarily give us behind the scenes of everything, but he says, this is what I've done. And, and you get to see the beauty and the beautiful artist, artistry and the poetry and the, um, uh, the words that, specific words that are used to describe such a scenes. Really, there's scenes in nature that are really beyond words. And mm. scripture is do, using, doing its best to capture these immaculate um, scenes um, and hope and also for us not to take um, the mundane day-to-day -day things for granted you know I think it's easy to do that a <laughs> perfect example is like in winter you never see the Sun <laughs> but you during summer you, summer you take it for granted but here in Cleveland like during the winter there's no Sun and you're like wait a minute the Sun is really important too <laughs> like not just the warmth, but also like your psych psychologically, <laughs> like when you don't see the sun. But yeah, mm -hmm. we can always take that stuff for granted. But scripture just helps us to see it differently. Yeah, um, it puts everything in perspective, right? right. Like you're saying that uh, human pursuits include understanding all of these things, right. uh, not in a, a cosmic, uh, divine sense, but in a scientific and logical right. sense. And and I think it's great. Uh, I think those are worthwhile mm -hmm. pursuits. And I think God loves that we love uh, the world he's created us uh, yeah. so much that we want to get to know it we want to understand it and I think that uh, the intricacies of how everything works together and everything we learn through science is just greater testament to the, the beauty and the, right. the power and the greatness of God uh, but beyond all of that behind all of that we have to, to be able to see that those pursuits are, are nothing in comparison to the importance of just recognizing right. the the vastness of, of right. who God is and all of his many qualities yeah yeah I would agree with that so my next passage is kind of kind of close to that um, and my next passage my one of my favorites Exodus chapter 3 verse 14 um, just a little bit of context this is uh, Moses speaking to God from the burning bush um, and it says, God, God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you, this is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. So, um, if you know the story of Moses, it's, uh, Moses was as a baby put in the reeds of the water because Pharaoh wanted to kill all the males because the Israelites were becoming too populous <laughs> and the Egyptians felt threatened. Um, so that his mother put him in a reed. Is it reed basket? Yeah, basket yeah. made out of reeds. reeds think, yeah. Yeah, right. And yeah. then travels on the river. Um, I guess the queen or the royalty of Egypt finds him, raises him up, and probably seen the movies. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, and then eventually Moses um, kills an Egyptian for attacking an Israelite, and then he runs into the desert. Um, is spends quite a bit of time in the desert actually. So while he, while he's a shepherd out in the desert. God speaks to him through a bush to go back to Egypt and to rescue or um, be really God's representative to Pharaoh to free the people. Um, so this is Moses' encounter with the burning bush, which that whole encounter is probably my favorite um, God to human conversation <laughs> encounter. Um, I go to it quite a bit. Um, I just the thing I love about it is just Moses is so reluctant. So I mean, we often think of our biblical heroes as like almost like superheroes are like they're nearly perfect and untouchable, but really the biblical heroes are so broken and so um, flawed. And Moses 
constantly told God that he wouldn't go. <laughs> and then God's like, you're going to go. Um, but I think that seeing that just gives me encouragement as you walk through your walk through with your relationship with Christ, walking in a relationship with God, just the struggles that I have are the same struggles that the biblical heroes had, um, quote-unquote biblical heroes. Um, anyways, this, this passage specifically, I love it because it's – Kind of, it's right in line with what Paul chose for um, Job because you get to see when God says, I am who I am, it's a statement that really is the ultimate statement of God's self sufficiency, his self existence, and his, um, his presence, his just immediate presence, his presence everywhere. Because um, really, God can't be compared to anything that he's created because he's above everything that he's created. So it's like God can only compare himself to who he is he's like i am who i am like there's what what else and the images that we do have like that god provides for us like god is uh, we talk about um the hand of god or god breathes life into us those are kind of imageries that help us to ex- uh, at least try to capture a, a much bigger um something that's it's even hard to put in words right now and hence, for example, God doesn't really have a hand. God the Father doesn't have a hand as we may think it is, but it's in the sense of it helps us to understand what God is doing in our lives um, from a human perspective that we can understand. For example, I mean, this is what in Isaiah, God says, my thoughts are above your thoughts and my ways are above your ways. But in order for God to communicate to us, he has to have speak in a way that we are going to understand. Um, but I think in this passage, in this moment, we get to see um, where God's like, I am who I am. And it's a passage that really speaks to, again, like the self-sufficiency and the uh, majesty and just the wonder of who God is. Um, I was thinking about this other day, just um, God is beyond words. And, and as um, Paul talked about in creation, creation gives us a picture of just the creativity, the um, power of God like I love to look at I love astronomy because of that because I see like how could God create like these massive stars and these massive black holes and asteroid belts and planets and galaxies and you're just like this is like unbelievable it's like truly mind-blowing um, that this God created all this and then yet is speaking to this to this human on earth and saying I am who I am and you just it's just it's really mind-blowing to think about. Um, so I, that's kind of why I've, I've always loved this passage. And what's also important, too, is that Jesus says the same thing in John chapter 8 when uh, the people question Jesus, like, who, who do you think, like, what do you mean you were before Abraham? And then Jesus says, I am. He's like, I am. And the people, the people in um, Israel at the time knew exactly what he was saying. Um, because this is this passage is a really really famous well known passage um, where God sometimes it's translated as Yahweh as we've probably heard before or sometimes it's translated I will be who I will be um, or I am or I am who I am so um, yeah the people of Israel so this is what's interesting too a lot of times people are like where where in Scripture does it say that Jesus said I am God as one passage where Jesus literally said I am God he said i am who i am or he said i am and the people were like okay he's saying he's god and um at that moment they wanted to stone him because it's blasphemy um but it was true jesus was god um but yeah those are some several reasons why um i picked this one so, so it's a the ties uh, between the two passages already to me are interesting i feel like they both uh show us an instant of of human limitation uh so with job it was his life was crumbling and as a a human uh tied to worldly things and uh and of course um your relationships with your loved ones go beyond worldly things in a sense but uh, all of these these human uh ties and and connections and values and and all of them are being challenged and and uh uh, some of them are being entirely destroyed before him, so he's facing his human limitations of right. of loss. And uh, for Moses, his human limitations of, of uh, his own self-confidence and abilities to, to lead and, uh, and, and speak with 
um, speak with authority to Pharaoh and, and to this great nation of Egypt and, and to come in and, and act as God's hand in the situation. So uh, he was questioning his ability to to uh, to follow God's command in his life. So human limitation in both senses and God's response in both situations, uh, it's like he doesn't mince words. He doesn't mess around. It's basically, hey, Job, hey, Moses, right. the answer is is me. It's right. not you don't right. got to go read a self-help book. You don't yeah. got to watch, you know, a little daytime TV, find a talk show, you know, get some instructions. <laughs> right. There's not a blog. There's not a podcast, although Paul and Stevens is pretty swell. <laughs> you know, you might pick up a few good tips right. here and there. No, it's. I am the answer, you know, the guy who created the world, the guy who set the boundaries around the sea, the guy who sent it spinning. I am, I am, I am. I am the only answer. I'm the only source. I'm the only only thing that you need to look to. And uh, I think that's just a, an incredible foundation upon which for us to, to build our lives and our, our right. understanding of God and, and us and, and what in the world we're doing here. Right. Yeah, and then, bro, I would don't want to spend too much time but also when you look at the especially in the book of john jesus says several times he said i am the vine i am the bread i am the light uh, all these things i am the way i am the truth so every time jesus is saying that he's equating going back to this passage i am i am i am i am um and when jesus is saying all those different things it's just again it goes back to the complex complexity of god like he isn't he's not just the bread of life but he's the light of life he's not just the light of life he's the vine that is the source like you can't this is a problem too with idolatry that you see in scripture there's nothing that god's created that can ever resemble who he is um and you could argue the closest thing is that us right because we're made in the image of god um which is an incredible thing to think about as well um and obviously only jesus is the one who's fully god fully man who fully um, represents who God is, um, just makes Jesus more incredible. Um, but also, yeah, the, that's the problem with idolatry. It can never capture the fullness of God. You, you just can't capture it in and created things. So, hmm. And speaking yeah. of, of Jesus, that's a great transition for right. us, Stephen. <laughs> he set me up. Uh, <laughs> we're going to go to Philippians 2, verses 1 through 8, uh, my second passage today. And this is the Apostle Paul uh, writing to the church in Philippi, and he, he says to them, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one of mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So if, uh, so if my first passage from Job was the, the Paul meet God passage, this is uh, my Paul meet Jesus passage. And uh, it, it really adds a whole other layer of understanding as to who God is. Um, and, and that's why I love this passage so much. The passage from Job reminds us of the, the greatness of God the Father and the smallness of uh, myself, of humanity. Whereas Philippians adds this other layer uh, to the image of God, our perception of God, by de demonstrating that God is, is both great and, and powerful and mighty and glorious, yet at the same time is, is simultaneously humble and passionate and tender and, uh, and, and greatly desires to be in relationship with his, um, you know, relatively speaking, minuscule and uh, insignificant and uh, really uh, limited beings that he has created and he wants to, to enter into relationship with us through uh, the gift of the Son who's being uh, laid out, his character is being laid out here in this passage. 
In fact, uh, verse 6, I know you don't, may not have it in front of you, so I'll connect the dot in a second here, but points us back to the image of God seen in Job and that, that notion of an all-powerful God, but then it, it adds a, a new chapter to God's story. So in verse 6 was, um, Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. So Jesus was, by his nature, also God, he is God, but he didn't consider equality with God on that that uh, power scale and that greatness scale and that glory scale, something to be grasped, something to hang on to for his own advantage. He was willing, rather, to give all of that up, all of that up to to um, take on the very nature of a servant, take on human likeness. So we see our our understanding of who God is, adding this, this second dimension uh, that God is both all-powerful and at the same time uh, tender and, and loving and compassionate and, uh, and desiring of a relationship with his uh, children. And this passage, I, I think, takes that concept of, of who Christ is and uh, how he represents God the Father in, in the first four verses says, uh, so what? Well, if that's who Christ is and Christ calls us to follow, uh, uh, follow him and Christ is our, our creator and our, our God, our eternal God and our authority figure, then uh, what do we do with that? What do we do with that reality? How do we respond? Well, we become one with one another. We show love and tenderness to one another. We, we show uh, compassion to each other. We try to uh, be united around uh, both things of the heart and things of, of the mind. We put other people ahead of us uh, because that's the character that we see displayed uh, through the life of, of Jesus Christ. So I think this passage to me is the next natural step. Once we get the Job part down, we get the Philippians part down. Uh, God is, is exactly who we see in his uh, speech to Job, but he's also exactly who the Apostle Paul um, describes him to be here in his relationship with his children here in this, in this earth. Uh, so, um, and, and bottom line is this is who we should aspire to be ourselves. Uh, we, we're not... Uh, called to be like God the Father and that manifestation of, of the, the nature of God. We're called to be like Jesus the Son. And, uh, you know, in the world we live in, it's not easy to, to, to be, uh, to take on for ourselves the example that's laid out here as uh, the way Jesus lived his life, to be humble, to be um, in unity with other people, uh, to put others before us, to, to have the nature of a servant about us. It's not easy, and so that tells me uh, that it's it's going to be difficult. Being a Christian, being a follower of Christ, is is challenging. It's overwhelming at times. It, it stands in in blatant contrast to the things the world calls us to be and do. Um, but nonetheless, it, it is where life and and uh, freedom are found, and uh, it's our hope for the future as well. Yeah, and uh, I think with that passage. Definitely a lot. <laughs> There's a lot of crossover. I guess we're using getting, <laughs> getting the verses from the same book, so there should be crossover. But uh, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I think what's um, important about that passage too is how it starts. It's like we ought to have the mindset of Christ. Um, sometimes I feel like that gets overlooked. That Paul is really speaking of an internal change that expresses itself externally, um, but having that mindset of God. Of, of Christ and um, humbling ourselves before others and even though we may have the status of <laughs> boss or manager and Jesus had the status of creator but yet he humbled himself to the lowest and, and um, had authority through service you know and I think that's an example that we can have of those who are have power and have ability who are teaching others that you can have authority through serving other people um, it's just such a backwards way of thinking in our society because it's authority and the power and people serve us. And Scripture just has it the other way around. And if you want to know how to get there, I think this points really well back to our last series with the right. spiritual disciplines. All right, right. yeah. See? Exactly. We're, yeah, we're, we're connecting. <laughs> exactly. In ways we didn't know we were. If you haven't checked those out, go check them out there on the website, rrumc.org. Go to the About tab and then go to the podcast. So that's a little promo for our old stuff. 
So, and also just to let you guys know, no one sponsors these podcasts, but if you want to sponsor it, that'd be exciting. No. (laughs) (laughs) You've been working hard to drum up sponsorship recently. We should probably have a conversation about what what in the world would we do if somebody wanted to. What would we do with a sponsorship, yeah. We could, I don't know, use the sponsorship to um, work on our attire. Yeah. Better yeah. wardrobe, uh, yes, voice coaching. <laughs> right, most, yeah, those those are good, actually. Yeah. Okay. All right, this leads to my second one, and um, and I want to go too long on it because I'm a preacher's son, and I like to preach. So, uh, John chapter 8, verses 31 through 32. Um, a little bit of context, this is Jesus speaking. Um, so, um, he's speaking to uh, Jewish leaders and also just... Jewish folks around the area um, and just before this passage they're kind of talking about who is Jesus um, the testimony of Jesus and then Jesus says in this passage he says to the Jews who had believed him Jesus said if you hold to my teaching um, you really are my disciples then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free um, so I have I've really this is one of the passages that's kind of always been my favorite throughout my life because it's this passage I really think is speaking of a journey uh, I think it's interesting that a couple of things to point out first the Jews Jews he's speaking to have already believed in him so they've already made the choice to follow Jesus they've already made the choice to to give their life to him to have the relationship and to be one of his disciples um, so they've already made the decision to believe him and to follow him and then Jesus kind of um, goes on to say, if you hold to my teachings, um, you're really my disciple. So um, so what I want to say here is not that we're not saved through, um, just a point, make it um, real clear that we're not saved through our works and how well we serve Jesus. We're saved through Jesus' works. Um, but ultimately, uh, our faith leads to actions, right? So our faith, our belief in Jesus leads to actions, and, and that faith is built and, and supported by what Jesus taught. So that's we hold to his teachings. That's how we're really his disciples as we continue to grow and develop and learn and mature and continue to see Christ throughout our life. Um, it really has a sense of a journey to it. Um, if we hold to his teachings throughout our lives, we'll really understand and really know what it means to be one of his disciples. Um, and I love, really love that second half of the verse. Um, actually, the second verse, 32. Um, then you will know the truth, and the truth has set you free. And what I love about this is that truth isn't, um, truth is not an equation. And I just, I always kind of push back against our society because it's so empirical database. It's so scientific. It's so if you see it it only exists if you can see it Um, but what's interesting here is that truth isn't an equation truth is a person um, that we get to know the truth that we get to know jesus and it's just so much more exciting so much more personal so much more inviting to know that the truth is jesus when he's even when he says i am the way the truth and the life you know and and that sense that truth is is embodied in Christ. He's the embodiment, the manifestation, the visual visual representation um, of truth. Um, it's in Him. He is truth, um, and that's just such an amazing, incredible thing that we get to know the truth through Him. And then the result of that, the result of knowing the truth, the result of knowing Jesus, the result of holding to His teachings, is that we're set free. Um, and I was thinking about actually thinking about this in my bed last night. You know, just that that uh, there's times where, and I think in the past, I think in Psalms where David says, "I lay up in my lay up in bed and just he just wonders on lays up in bed and just thinks on God." And I had one of those moments last night, just thinking about what it means to be free, um, and not in the. <laughs> Maybe we could do a podcast on this on freedom, but not not in the American sense of freedom, where it's like we want less laws so that we can do more things. Yada. I mean, that's just a whole nother discussion. But biblical freedom, in the sense that um, I'm completely, I don't have, I have an undivided heart. Like I have a heart that's completely set on the Lord. I have a heart that's completely loving the Lord, with all my heart, mind, and soul, and a heart that loves my neighbor as myself. 
and what scripture says there's no there's only two commandments um or there's only two commands really it's the love of the lord your god with all your heart and the love of your neighbor as yourself there's no reason for anything else right think about uh, i actually challenge anyone listening to it think about that we don't need any other laws if we completely love god and completely loved our neighbor there's no reason for any other laws um, and that's true freedom and that we're able to completely express ourselves through the love of God. Um, and it's just an incredible thought to have it. And to be honest, like, I know myself, and I'm not perfect. I'm a sinner and struggle and, and have ups and downs and good days and bad days and all that stuff, like we all do, you know, and, and that that this passage makes me think of heaven and, and the new earth to come. And we're coming off of Easter, which is the resurrection. And just thinking of the freedom that awaits us in Christ and his resurrection, um, just the freedom. And um, it's just really exciting to, to dwell on, um, to think of the freedom that awaits us because we know the truth, which is Jesus. Um, so this is a kind of a passage that's stuck with me throughout my life, just holding to the teachings of Christ so I can know the truth who is Jesus and, and um, thinking of the freedom that he gives us today, like we can have that freedom now, but also that ultimate freedom that we'll have in the future. So, mm. yeah. Yeah, and I, <clears throat> I think as you talk about how the notion of freedom that Scripture lays out is so different than yeah. our, uh, you know, American notion or maybe even world's notion of right. what freedom looks like. It yeah. is so true, and, and it... I think requires us as Christians to do some rewiring uh, as we begin to follow Christ to understand that that this notion of freedom that we're striving for that is a million times better than the notion our, our world tries to hand us is right. is one that begins with uh, an act of surrender, <laughs> which is yeah, right. is contrary to what we've been right. taught from, right exactly. from the beginning. Right. That uh, freedom for us is is surrendering. Right holy uh, right. over to Christ and obedience even the passage you read talks about obedience Christ's obedience yeah yeah definitely and we don't associate that with freedom in, in America obedience and surrender it's like <laughs> that's the complete opposite yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. Just, that's incredible yeah, yeah. It, would, it sounds like uh, lunacy to most people right. but you, once you know Christ uh, if you're if right. you're willing to right. uh, get to know Christ then that opens up that possibility right that, and then the, the question becomes, uh, for, you know, you're, you're free from something, but yeah. what are you free for? Free, yeah. and, and that's yeah. that next step of right. living into the sanctity of, of the Christian right. walk, that uh, I'm not just set free from the world or set free from sin, or, uh, but I'm, I'm set free for something or to right. accomplish something, to uh, live in a certain way, right. and, and that there's joy in that as well, joy that comes on the other side of being set free, too. Right, right. Yeah, was, yeah, really well put. Thank you. You as well. <laughs> yeah. Nailed it. All right, so uh, my last passage will set up in, in this sense. Uh, we started with uh, my Paul meet God passage. Second was my Paul meet Jesus passage. This is my Paul meet the church passage. And uh, it comes from Acts chapter 2. I like uh, this, the second chapter of a lot of books of the Bible. <laughs> I don't know if that says something. Uh, maybe the the first chapter is full of fluff, you know, just, yeah. uh, hi, everybody, this is a yeah. Bible writer telling you uh, yeah. some nice niceties. And by the second chapter, right. they get to the, the meat of the argument. Or maybe it means you only read up to the second chapter and then you stop. Wow. That's a glass half full, glass half empty. <laughs> Yeah, well, I figured you would take that right. approach to it. Yeah. So uh, anyhow, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. Paul, meet the church. Uh, listeners, meet the church. It says this, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So if this is... What the church is supposed to look like. Uh, Pastor Paul is here to tell you I ain't never been to church before. <laughs> this is not something I've experienced. 
Um, maybe the problem is in, in phrasing it like that, that we go to church, we are uh, church, and our day-to-day life is, uh, is us representing and being and uh, bringing church to the people around us. And that's what it was for the the early apostles. Uh, you know, their their faith in Jesus Christ wasn't something that they <sighs> they came to um, accept and embrace, and then they tacked it on to uh, the lifestyle they were already living. No, it was it was something that they embraced and allowed it to to take root in their lives and completely churn everything upside down, uh, such that their their life, uh, their their day to day, how they spent their their time, how they made decisions. Uh, their relationships with one another, all of that was uh, was formed through their understanding of what church was, and everything was filtered through that. Every time uh, that the, they acted or reacted was filtered through um, the the notion of what God intended for us as a church. And uh, so uh, this is this is how the Bible lays it out. I think that uh, a lot of us are quick to say, "Well, this was." You know, from first century uh, Israel, so it doesn't apply to us. And and I think there's some truth in in that in in some uh, in some ways, and some uh, maybe the specifics. But I think the principles that this uh, description of churches is, is built upon are still true for us. Uh, should still hold true for us. And uh, in in reality, I, I look at what the church is today and. And uh, I, I become quickly overwhelmed and, and uh, realize how far we are from where God intended us to be. And sometimes I, I don't even know where to start. Um, and I think sometimes our, our church systems and traditions and the expectations we have of what the church is and, and uh, what it asks of us, these well-embedded and, and long uh, ingrained uh, systems and concepts are, are our greatest enemy. Sometimes I wish we could just, you know, walk away from the systems we have and, and start from scratch and just use Acts as our, our model and just build the, the church um, from the, the ground up, um, not even necessarily in a physical sense, just in a spiritual relational sense, uh, the way it's described here. But in the meantime, the, the church is what it is, and it's a beautiful thing, and it does uh, mimic a lot of these concepts in incredible ways. And I think our, our task then is to continue to figure out how we can take the very bulky and, and sometimes frustrating systems we have and continue to pull them more towards uh, the reality of the movement uh, that existed in, in Acts chapter 2, the movement of Christian faith as opposed to the institutions that we we rest on uh, in today's world and, and we expect the church to be. Uh, so we got a lot of work to do, but we have a lot to celebrate at the same time. But I, I think the key is that we're looking to this this model as often as we can as uh, where uh, where we need to be going and, and what to be working towards. Right. Yeah, I agree. I think, um, yeah, it's always good to point out what the church is doing well or what the church is, what we've accomplished, um, but definitely always looking at how can we further um, get closer to the vision or uh, not even just the vision, but how the church looked in the early church in the book of Acts. Um, and, of course, it's going to manifest and show itself maybe a little bit differently <laughs> in the 21st century than it did in, in Rome. Um, but still, that, like Paul said, the principles remain true um, for the church today as it did then, for sure. Um, all right, and then my last passage is First Peter um, chapter 1, verse 8. Um, now, this probably really is my favorite passage um, and probably will be for, I guess, the rest of my life. Well, I guess this passage ultimately is fulfilled <laughs> in the end. Um, but this is First Peter chapter 1, verse 8. Um, it says, um, Though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible, inexpressible and glorious joy for your receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Um, so yeah, it's definitely one of my favorite passages for several reasons. One, I, I just love the honesty of scripture, how it just clearly points out that, hey, you haven't seen Jesus. So it doesn't, no, there's no sugarcoating in scripture. It's not like, oh, you need to have this vision of Christ. You need to see his face. You need to physically see him. Like it, it, it literally points out, you have not seen him. 
Um, and, I, and I love that. It's kind of a verse that was written um, for them, right? And written for those, those early Christians who are closer to Christ than what we are. But I feel like this is also written for us and, and, and um, following generations who haven't seen Jesus. And so that would be us <laughs> um, and any generations after us. Um, but it was also true then when it was first written. Um, so I love that how honesty how honest the scriptures are. Um, so it says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And um, even as I talk about this passage, like I can tend to be an emotional guy sometimes. Um, and I can already feel like my emotions come into the surface when it, when it says you love him. Um, because I think that is what it's really all about in the end. Um, it's about loving God, um, loving Jesus. Um, that it's the reason why you serve the Lord and the reason why you serve other people um, is out of love. And as I mentioned before, that everything can be summed up in loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul and loving your neighbor as yourself. Um, but I also think it just needs to... I love this passage because it has a personal feel to it. It's almost, at least the way I take it, it's like you haven't seen him, but you love him. Um, though this letter is written to a, a group, of, a community of believers... Um, but as a real personal feel like um, the, I think the best way I describe a relationship with Jesus is, is um, a marriage relationship that we're completely committed to him um, for the long run and, and it's like you have this sense of love for Jesus just for who he is not for what he gives not for his gifts not for his amazing miracles, not for like he could walk on water and, and not for what he can do for me, but you just love him for who he is. This, this, I mean, that's how a relationship ought to be. Like you love your spouse or you love your family just for who they are, you know, and the, you don't, you don't need any extra. Right. And, and I think that this verse really speaks that you just love him. Um, and even though you do not see him now, I love this. Even though you don't see him now, you believe in him, right? You believe in his words. You believe in his miracles. You believe that he's coming back again. You believe in his resurrection. You believe in his death and what it meant. You believe you believe all of that, you know, and, and it really speaks to faith. You know, it's a step of faith of even though you don't see him, you love him. Even though you don't see him now, you believe in him. It's a real step of faith, and this is what faith is. It's, um, it's not a blind faith, right? Um, Jesus was real. Jesus... Paul's been to Jerusalem several times, and he's walked the streets where Jesus walked, right? Yeah, right beside him. (laughs) He's tripped up the steps where Jesus tripped up. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Jesus didn't trip, but yeah, (laughs) I did a couple of times. He was a little bit more sure-footed than that. Yeah, I'm sure he probably tripped maybe once or twice. Um, (laughs) We'll never know. (laughs) We'll never know. Well, one day. That could (laughs) be the first question you ask him. (laughs) Did you ever trip? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, but yeah, I mean, I just say all that because it is real. You know, our faith isn't, it's not, again, I always push against this too. Our faith is not some mystical thing that we, that the disciples, a matter of fact, I think it's in First or Second Peter where G- Peter says our stories about Jesus are not cleverly invented stories. Um, again, I love the honesty of scripture here um, that is said the origins uh, of scripture was not in cleverly invented um, but yeah it, it just goes to like it's not a blind faith but it, it's a trusting the words of Jesus even though we don't see him now we love him and even though we don't see him now we believe in him um, and this is a passage that I hold to quite quite strongly and then at the very end of the passage it says you receive inexpressible and glorious joy right and we talked about joy in the in our uh, um, series on disciplines the, the end result is joy you know it's 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 one of the fruits a christian should have in their walk is joy you know and doesn't mean you're always happy and giddy all the time that's that's not the joys he's talking about it's a it's a joy that's rooted a joy that's that can um go through the storm a joy that can um that can meet the challenges but also joy that can really takes in all the goodness that god has given us um, a real rooted joy, and then the end result is the salvation of your souls. And I, um, <laughs> as I guess, think about, it, I can start getting emotional. But yeah, it's it's the salvation of our souls, right? It's it's the being with Christ forever. Um, that salvation that every human being is yearning for. Um, we're all th- seeking salvation in something, 
right? And, and we're all we're seeking maybe salvation in our careers and our families and our our abilities, our successes or whatever. But in this passage, our our salvation is from Jesus and Jesus alone. Um, he's the one who saves our souls, um, not just for this life, but the life to come. Um, so it's just a fantastic passage. I love I love it so much. Um, if I ever got a tattoo, this would be the passage. So it's a long one. <laughs> it's a long I one. I mean, it's one verse. Yeah, but right. Yeah. Yeah. And I have no tattoos, so. No. But, yeah. Well, that's uh, food for thought. <laughs> Have to find maybe there's a shorter version out there, right? You know, right. CEV or CEV, yeah. yeah. Uh, but uh, you know, as you were talking about what this passage means to to you, I, I couldn't help but uh, focus on the author of this passage, right. and, and you touched on it for a second. That's, but uh, yeah. to picture that these words are coming from the guy who, right. who may very well have been the closest human right. relationship to Jesus right. and uh, had gone through ups and downs and made some some goofy mistakes and um but uh, especially that moment of redemption when jesus was resurrected and and came to peter um as as peter and and the other disciples were were back at the uh fishing lake again and and jesus (laughs) approaches them and and they have that exchange where jesus says three times peter do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And uh, Peter's redeemed from his three acts of of, uh, denial. And this love that is shared between these these two men is is profound. It's it's deeply spiritual and personal. And I think Peter can speak to what it means to truly love Jesus um, based on everything he went through with Jesus. And the the uh, you know the d- disaster that uh, he was before uh, the crucifixion, and and then the success story that he was on the other side. Right. Uh, but he can speak to that in uh, ways that we kind of have to take notice yeah. of. Yeah. Um, so I think that yeah. adds even more meaning to it. Right. Good point. Yeah. I, I I mean Peter flat out denied Jesus three times to his face. Yeah. It's that's that's exactly right. So uh, th- those are, uh, at least uh, for today, they could change tomorrow, <laughs> but uh, Stephen's top three, my top three, we'll, we'll ponder the bottom three maybe, even though it may <laughs> never hit the, uh, the, the air for a podcast series. But uh, we hope you enjoyed, and uh, on, on that same note, we hope you had a wonderful Easter, and we look forward to uh, launching into a new series with you uh, in the very near future. Uh, but until then, we hope to, to catch out and about. Spring has officially sprung. And so we we hope to get to see you in person. We're hoping for more and more folks to start trickling back into the the, uh, worship opportunities and ministries of the church and uh, that we can just uh, reconvene and and, uh, just renew some relationships and and continue our our growing together in uh, some of the old ways and and some new ways as we get back into the rhythm of things. Uh, So happy Easter to you all, and we look forward to being back with you next week. See ya.